You know, there's several places in the Bible that are difficult passages to understand, at least at first glance. They might be like a sticky wicket, if you know what that is. This is one of those that, uh, that might be, but it's uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, God. to God. Please be seated, and Pastor Steve, bring Th us the good news. Thank you, Russ. Well, good morning, faith family. Uh, you know, I see some of you I haven't seen for a good while. It's so good to be back. And I want to welcome all of you who are meeting with us on, worshiping with us online as well. Uh, Friday afternoon, Vicki O'Hare and I attended the dedication for the new community closet for Iglesia Comunitaria, which is the new Hispanic congregation started by our friend, Pastor Juan Carlos Veloso, in South Omaha. And the room that they previously used for their clothing closet was quite small, and you had to go up a narrow staircase to find it. And this new room is much bigger. It's more accessible right off Fellowship Hall. Um, and uh, Juan Carlos, interestingly, is pastor of two churches, one English-speaking and one Spanish-speaking. How he does that is amazing to me. Both congregations share the same building at 25th and E, and today, today, they are both reopening for in-person worship. Friday afternoon, the dedication was a small gathering, um, intentionally small because of the pandemic, and we met there in, in their fellowship hall, and at one point, uh, Juan Carlos called me up, and he thanked Faith Westwood said, for all that you have done to supply repairs and paint for their fellowship hall and their community closet. And his wife, Marite, uh, presented me with this card uh, addressed to Faith Westwood and uh, thanking us for our support. Here is a picture that I took of their new community closet, which is already serving people uh, besides a fresh coat of paint, this room and Fellowship Hall needed repair work done on walls and ceilings and windows and floors. And uh, that afternoon, I also got to meet a young couple, Diego, who did all the work, and his wife, Victoria, who was there taking pictures, uh, both originally from Argentina. In both their fellowship hall and their clothing closet, I recognized something right away. This used to be our carpet. <laughs> uh, you know, when we remodeled our upstairs and our downstairs, we replaced all those brown carpet squares with the, the new gray and green that you see here. And some of those old squares had a lot of life left in them. And so I'm so happy they found a new home. They look great. 
So I want to pass on to you their appreciation for the, your mission offerings to Iglesia Comunitaria, and I want to thank you also for the kids' clothes that you continue to donate for their closet. It means so much to them. Let's pray. Oh, God, you are on, you are on a mission you sent your son to reclaim us and redeem us and to restore this world. Thank you. And thank you for letting us join in your mission to announce the good news of your reign to all nations. And this morning we ask you to bless these two sister churches of ours who are reopening their doors this morning. Lord, we ask that you will please raise up people who will partner with Juan Carlos and Marite in launching this new congregation. And all God's people said, amen. I remember my, my first semester in college, living in the dorm, hanging out with new friends. I could come and go as I pleased. I didn't have to answer to anybody. It was wonderful. And I remember thinking back then, I feel like a fish that has just discovered water. <laughs> Campus was just 30 minutes from home, but I did not return home until Thanksgiving. It hurt my mom's feelings, I think, which, which I regret now. But I was having such a great time, you know. Decades later, I'm always glad to see those old friends from college, but you know, I don't keep up with them all that much. And what I've realized is how enduring family ties are compared to my college friendships. Today, we're looking at a different kind of family, different from our nuclear families, different from our extended families. Today, I want to give you the heart of the message right up front. Here it is. Jesus counts as his family all who listen to him and do the will of his Father. Will you say that with me? Jesus counts as his family all who listen to him and do the will of his Father. This is the third Sunday of Lent, and so we are right at the midpoint of our series called This is Jesus. We're going through the, the uh, Gospel of Matthew together. Many historians agree that Jesus is the most influential person who ever lived. Jesus said that the kingdom he was launching would start small, but in time it would have a powerful influence. He said it's like a small seed that grows into a big tree. He said it's like a pinch of yeast that leavens the whole lump of dough. You see, Jesus flipped the script of this world and his followers started living by this new script because they believed that Jesus is this world's rightful ruler and he has already begun his reign. For example, they did what Jesus said that we read in Matthew 25. They fed the hungry, gave water to the thirsty. They invited in the stranger. They clothed those who were cold. They, they cared for the sick and then visited those in prison. And they did it for him. Everywhere they went, they met misery with mercy. Not only that, but from the earliest days, 
women were among Jesus' disciples. I mean, the way he did that was revolutionary. The Gospels tell us about Mary Magdalene, Susanna, Joanna, and others. The Apostle Paul talked about a number of women who had leadership roles in the church. Uh, Lydia, Phoebe, Chloe, Priscilla, Priscilla, Junia, others. Sociologist and historian Rodney Stark says, women were especially drawn to Christianity because it offered them a life that was so greatly superior to the life they otherwise would have had. From small beginnings, Jesus' influence has impacted every part of life in nearly every part of the world, and it's still happening today. Some of you are thinking, Steve, are you trying to convert me to Jesus? Absolutely I am. That's why I'm here, you know. I, I was 16 years old when, I, when Jesus became a real person in my life, and I gave my life to him. You know, I was thinking the other day that even though I'm much older and grayer now, I'm still, I am still that same 16-year-old kid who wants to tell people about Jesus. I want to tell everyone that Jesus has come into my life and changed me forever just like he's done for so many other people, including many of you. Today, Russ read for us from the end of chapter 12 in Matthew's gospel. And, and uh, before we look at that passage again, I want us to go back and, and see what happened right before that. Earlier in chapter 12, the Pharisees are busy verbally attacking Jesus. At the time, the Pharisees are, are a pretty, fairly popular group. Uh, they were conscientious Jews trying to get everyone to follow their super strict set of, of rules, and they hope that if everybody does this, then, then God's going to roll up his sleeves and deliver them from Roman occupation. And Jesus keeps telling the Pharisees, you, you've taken this too far. You're laying a heavy load on people that they cannot bear. Now, Jesus also believes in righteousness and holiness, but he knows it's not going to happen by forcing it on people from the outside. It's got to begin from the inside. Some Pharisees get so mad at Jesus, they spread conspiracies about him. Conspiracies are nothing new, right? They call him the prince of demons and say that that's why he can command unclean spirits to leave people, because he's their top one. Well, other Pharisees and their Bible teachers show, show up and demand that Jesus give them proof if he truly is on God's side. In essence, they're saying, healing the sick is not enough. Casting out unclean spirits is not enough. We want to see you do something truly spectacular. Send fire from the sky. Float down from the top of the temple. Write Yahweh rules in the skies. And then we'll believe. But Jesus does not bow to their demands. Their desire for a spectacular sign is a sign that their hearts have grown hard. They already have all they need to believe. And then he says that the only other sign that they're going to get 
is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. And what is that? In verse 40, Jesus says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, meaning himself, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, I think we can kind of pick up on the meaning here. Jonah was resurrected, so to speak, from his three-day burial in, in the big fish, and Jesus will be resurrected after his three-day burial in the ground. That will be the sign problem is that most Pharisees end up not taking this sign seriously either. They hear about the resurrection, but they dismiss it. They don't investigate it because they don't want to believe it. I, I confess that there have been times when I wished God would do something really, really big that would make it easy for me to believe. I wanted a sign, something so big that it would erase all doubt. And yet, there's, there's plenty of evidence for those who are willing to look at it. For example, there's no adequate way to explain the explosive growth of Jesus' movement after his death apart from his resurrection. That's the sign of Jonah. And of course, the, the people Jesus is talking to, uh, all of them are Jews here. They're all in the same spiritual family, you would say, or at least they're supposed to be. But what if they refuse to listen? Jesus counts as his family all who listen to him and do the will of his Father. Listening and doing. Kind of like Russ said, trust and obey. Can't be one or the other. It has to be both. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns about people who look like disciples. They've learned the lingo. They do impressive work. They put on a really good show. But don't be fooled by them. They are not Jesus' family because they're not doing what he said his disciples are to do. And sooner or later, they're going to wash away like a house built on sand. Then, in chapter 12 again, uh, Jesus uses a parable that I admit is kind of confusing. In this parable, uh, a person gets delivered from an unclean spirit. They put their life in order the, like a house that get, gets all cleaned up and, and, and straightened up, but the house is still empty. No one has moved in to guard it and care for it. And so all of that chaos and confusion moves back in stronger than ever before. It's like the unclean spirit has returned with several of its friends. The point of the parable is this. That if we listen to Jesus and we make a few changes, we may see a little improvement. But if those changes are superficial, if we're not learning from them, if we aren't being filled with the Holy Spirit, those changes are not going to last. And we may end up worse than before. I remember a guy who met a young woman, and uh, she was a devoted Christ follower. He was not. They started dating. 
he, uh, he laid off his heavy drinking. He cleaned up his language, at least at church. He tried to be kinder and less selfish, especially around his girlfriend. He even went to Bible study with her. But it was all superficial. It was all about impressing her. And after a couple of months, he gave it all up. He went back to his old ways, maybe even worse than before. You see, you can't be neutral with Jesus. You can't be superficial with Jesus. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. Now, all of us who follow him are flawed. We know that. But we also know that you cannot dabble at being a disciple, right? Jesus said, you've got to take up your cross. That's how serious this is. Lay down your life. Surrender to him. Straddling the fence is not the place you want to spend your life. And all of that leads us up to the passage for today, starting with verse 46. And while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Jesus' mother and brothers seemed to be straddling. Bible scholar Dale Bruner notes that Jesus' mother and brothers are nearby, but they're outside. They're not yet inside listening. They want to speak to him. They want to interrupt his teaching. Maybe they've come to take him home, so he will stop this nonsense. One interesting thing about this passage, five times in five verses we hear this phrase about Jesus' mother and brothers. Three of them from the mouth of Jesus. And all of this repetition just seems to build the tension, little by little. Verse 49, pointing to his disciples, he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. Some translations give us a little more nuance, saying that Jesus stretched out his hands over his disciples as if offering them a blessing, saying, these people are my family. And in verse 50, he adds this, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, in this scene, I want you to picture this with that people gathered around listening to Jesus in that house. And uh, they're, they're listening, they're learning. And that's where the Father's will begins. We cannot act on what we do not know. And that's why you and I are here today, whether we're in the worship center or whether we're worshiping online, we are listening and learning. And at this moment, this is what the Heavenly Father's will looks like. Because listening leads to doing Learning leads to living. Now, some of you I know have perfectionist tendencies. Right? And what, and what Jesus just said is freaking you out. How am I ever going to live God's will perfectly? So I just would suggest that if that's you right now, that you abandon that word perfectly for the time being. 
Now, Jesus does want us to do the the Father's will completely and thoroughly, but he also knows it's going to take time. We've got a lot to learn and a lot to unlearn. And, And that's why we live in grace. I like to think of grace as kind of this stream that carries us. And by grace, we are adopted into God's family. By grace, Jesus counts as his family all who listen to him and do the will of his Father. Interestingly, in the book of Acts, um, after Jesus' resurrection, his mother and at least one of his brothers uh, are counted among his disciples. They may have been straddling the fence in Matthew chapter 12, but they got off the fence and came inside. And maybe some of you have been straddling that fence. Maybe you've been straddling that fence for a long time. Today, Jesus is inviting you to come on inside. Get off the fence and come on in. Let him stretch his hands of blessing over you and say, here is one of mine. Here is my sister. Here is my brother. And I know I think Jesus is doing that for us as we are gathered here. As we receive communion, he is stretching his hands over us and he is blessing us and he is saying, this is my family.